0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Thanks so much for joining us. And if this is your first time, I invite you to hit subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you might be listening to the show. Before we dive into today's interview, I'd like to send a huge thanks to our friends at SIGopt, an Intel company, for their support of the podcast and their sponsorship of this series of shows from the ICML conference. Experimentation is critical for AI model development, but is messy and tough to get right. This is why most modelers use tools that help them track what they've done. But none of these tools also help them discover what to do next. This is where SIGOPT can help. SIGOPT combines experiment management with seamless and powerful optimization. With SIGOPT, modelers design novel experiments, explore modeling problems, and optimize models to meet multiple objective metrics in their iterative workflow. Join modelers from Two Sigma, OpenAI, Numenta, Mila, and many more who apply SigOpt to make model development eight times faster and boost team productivity by 30%. And now, SigOpt is available for free, forever. Sign up for an account today at sigopt.com slash signup. Again, that's sigopt.com slash signup to get your free account today. All right, on to the show. All right, everyone, I am here with Virginia Smith. Virginia is an assistant professor of Machine Learning at Carnegie Mellon University, Virginia. Welcome to the Twomble AI Podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Hey, I'm looking forward to diving into our conversation. We are going to be focusing on federated learning and some other topics. But before we do, I'd love to have you share a little bit about your background and how you came to work in the field.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, for me, I always enjoyed math always wanted to take as many math classes as I could. But I think one question I had is, you know, how can I really put this math to use? And just before my senior year in undergrad, I took my first computer science class and absolutely loved it. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on in in my PhD, something at the intersection of, of computer science and math. And I think machine learning was a really natural fit. In my PhD there was uh, around the time I started a lot of excitement around big data and you know deep learning was also taking off and so there was a lot of focus on how to make models more accurate and how to make them more efficient and that was kind of what I focused on in, in my PhD is techniques for distributed learning and distributed optimization so Taking a lot of the machine learning methods we knew and loved in the small scale setting and getting them to work across large data centers uh, and massive amounts of data. Since then, in my research, as as well as a lot of other researchers, I think we've realized that big data is not just big, it's also very complex. And there's a lot more to the picture than than just efficiency and and accuracy. So a lot of my recent work has has been focusing on, on other constraints as well, things like robustness and fairness and privacy. One application that I think really makes these points salient and and grounds these ideas is the application of of federated learning, where the Mm -hmm. goal is to go beyond the data center and and train across networks of remote devices or across private data silos, like across different organizations. And I think that this is a really exciting and ongoing area of of research.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And so you think of federated learning as an application that kind of grounds your research. Is there a an application of federated learning that you like to think about uh, when you're thinking about your research?
1: Yeah, so I think there's one thing to note is I guess there's become a kind of important dichotomy in terms of the applications of of federated learning. So there are applications in in cross-device federated learning, where the goal is to train across a large network of remote devices. And then there are also applications in what is known as cross-silo federated learning, where the goal might be to train, again, in in a privacy-preserving way, but across, say, a a group of 10 organizations, or it could be hospitals or financial institutions. And so I've done some work on on both types of applications, but more of my work tends to be in the cross-device federated learning setting.
0: Okay. And the main distinction between those is kind of a one-to-many set of concerns about privacy versus few-to-few? Is is that a good way to characterize it?
1: Yeah, so there can be differences in terms of what you care about from a privacy point of view. I think a major difference is just the scale. So in in the cross-device setting, you're talking about maybe thousands to millions of devices that you're learning over, each of those devices could be really you know, uh, constrained from a computational point of view. Mm-hmm. In the cross-silo setting, it could be, like I said, 10 hospitals that you're training over, and you, you might have more compute power at each of those hospitals. But there could be similar concerns about not sharing private information across the organizations or across the devices. So in that way, they're fundamentally distributed learning problems. It's just a, a difference in terms of the scale, and then, as you mentioned, the kind of privacy characteristics.
0: Right, right. And how much of your research is focused on the, or even beyond your research, in terms of where the field is today, the distributed learning aspect of these problems relative to the privacy aspects of these problems? I've done a number of interviews on privacy-preserving machine learning, differential privacy, techniques like that. And I'm curious if that's kind of the bulk of your research uh, versus are we still trying to figure out better ways to do the core learning itself across devices?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It, it, it's really, it's both. And I think in federated learning, privacy is really a first class citizen. So it's one of the main motivations for performing this you know distributed learning problem. You don't want to move all of the raw data that you have from these user devices to some central location. There can be some downstream privacy benefits for keeping that raw data local. And so this is a, privacy is a really important consideration. And I think a lot of the exciting work in federated learning is thinking exactly about this. So how do we take the privacy notions that we've thought about in simpler, centralized settings and understand them in this distributed learning context? But certainly it's a, my, my work focuses on, on both problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they're, from a practical perspective, fairly tightly intertwined.
1: Yes, they can be very related. So I think, as I mentioned, privacy helps to motivate why we would want to perform this distributed learning problem. So why we want to keep data on these devices as opposed to, to moving them. But it also makes it difficult to perform the distributed learning because you want to make sure that the information that you do send over the network doesn't reveal any, any sensitive information.
0: hmm mm-hmm. One of the areas you've been focusing on from a research perspective is fairness and robustness. You've got a ICML paper on that topic. Let's start with what fairness means in this context, because I think it's different from the type of fairness we think about from an AI ethics perspective.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think this goes back to this earlier point I mentioned, which is one thing I think is interesting to me about federated learning is it helps to ground these these notions in in a specific way. And certainly, I should say there are multiple notions of fairness that you could consider in federated settings. One of the notions that we've been looking at and and that we touch on in this work is related to the idea of representation disparity. And the idea is is basically that if you have a, a network of heterogeneous devices, so different user devices, might be generating data that looks slightly different across the network. You could imagine a network of mobile phones. People might be interacting with those phones in slightly different ways. And for that reason, the data might look slightly different across the network. But you want to train a model that performs ideally equally well across these possibly differing diverse devices that you have in the network. And so this is related to the idea of of representation disparity. We want to, I think a a good way to phrase it is at a high level, you want to ensure some reasonable quality of service across the entire network. So you want to train a model that performs reasonably well across all of the different devices.
0: Mm -hmm. And so the premise is that if you apply distributed or, or federated learning techniques without considering the specific needs of fairness, it's likely that you're going to run into problems where the results aren't fair in that way. Yeah. Uh, What are the particulars of the failure modes and why do you see them when you're not worried about them?
1: So what can happen is typically when we're training a model in a federated network, one of the most common objectives to consider is just traditional empirical risk minimization. And with that objective, typically you consider just minimizing an average notion of loss. So you're trying to minimize the average error across the different devices in the network. And the concern is that if you just look at the average performance, it could be that you perform quite well on average, but at the expense of performing maybe very poorly on a small subset of the devices. So you can have situations where if you have a small set of devices that differ in some way, um, then you can have a model that performs well on many of the devices, but could perform catastrophically on, on some of these devices. And this is why you would care about looking at alternatives to empirical risk minimization and encoding this kind of notion of fairness for federated learning. Mm-hmm.
0: And when you're thinking about fairness in this way, is it independent of the, what's the, the relationship between the model or the thing that you're trying to optimize across the different devices?
1: Yeah, so, so the, the issue is that if you're training just kind of one model to perform well across all of these devices and you have differing data coming from these different devices and the data might differ in, in some meaningful way, then there can be limited capacity for one model to kind of capture all of this diversity. And this is where you can have issues with fairness being a concern. And this, I, I should not this can particularly happen because in, in federated settings, we're thinking about training models that we can deploy often on device that can run very efficiently and perform often, you know, kind of real-time machine learning. And that naturally limits the, the types of models that we were able to deploy in these settings. And so this is a scenario where even if we have expressive models, there can be a real limit to how just a single model can capture this uh, entire realm of, of diversity across the network.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, fairness is just one of many attributes that you're looking to balance when you're mm-hmm. training a model or federated or, or not. Can you talk about some of the other the trade offs uh, mm-hmm. that you're making? Particularly, your work focuses on a trade off between fairness and robustness.
1: Yeah, so robustness is another really important concern in in federated settings. And the idea here is that because you're using user devices as a computing substrate, there can be practical issues that happen with these devices. Someone might turn their phone off, or you could potentially have an an adversary in the network. Um, And so we want to develop models that are robust to things like device failures or possibly to corrupted data. And what's interesting though is that if you think about the issue that I just talked about with fairness, which is that we want our model to fit well, possibly to diverse or heterogeneous looking data, this can be directly at odds with this issue of robustness. So, a common way that people handle robustness is they look at that diverse data or the outlier data that they're seeing and they get rid of it, right? So, that could be data coming from a corrupted device or a device where there's been some failure. And so an easy way to to think about encoding robustness is just to say, let's ignore that information. And the reason I'm saying this can be at odds with fairness is from a fairness point of view, if that data is actually just coming from a device, maybe that's generating some different looking data, then that's exactly the the device that we want to upweight, that we want to ensure that our model fits well to. And so this is why these two notions can be at odds in federated learning. Mm -hmm.
0: And so... A big part of your, your research in this paper that I referred to, the ICML paper, is looking at the trade-offs and how to ensure fairness while managing robustness. Kind of walk us through the, the approach that you take.
1: Yeah, so one of the insights that we have in this work is that if you're training, as I mentioned, just a single model across the entire network, there's limited capacity for this one model to be able to both ensure fairness and ensure robustness simultaneously. And one of the techniques that we propose to help address both of these constraints is something called multitask learning. And the idea is basically that intuitively, if you have data that differs across the federated network, it makes sense to not just train a single model, but possibly to train multiple models. So to personalize the model to the local data and multitask learning is one way of doing personalized federated learning. The idea is that you're just solving multiple tasks. You're solving from multiple models simultaneously. And this is something that I think, again, it's it's intuitive, but it, what we've seen is that it's it's actually quite powerful on how this simple technique, we're not trying to do anything specific regarding fairness or robustness. We're just implementing actually a very simple multitask learning framework.
0: And does multitask learning always denote two models as opposed to a single model that's trained to do two things?
1: Yeah. So thanks for bringing this up. So multitask learning has many meanings for for different applications. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so more commonly in deep learning, people might think about multitask learning as learning across actually very diverse tasks. Like you're training a right. some NLP model simultaneously with an image classifier. Here, the the notion that I'm referring to for multitask learning is that we can view each device as being its own learning task, and mm-hmm. so. The overall learning objective can be similar between them. You could still be training just a single image classifier, but the the notion of a task is with with respect to the local data set on the the individual device. So you're still trying to train an an image classifier, but now you have multiple different devices that are generating data and you model each of those devices as an individual task.
0: Okay. So then you are... I'm trying to put the pieces together. I was thinking about it in the kind of the way I traditionally think of multitask learning, whereas you might have one objective function that's focused on fairness and another that's focused on robustness and another that's focused on whatever your core task is. And multitask is the way you are kind of optimizing across these three objectives. But it sounds like that's not really what we're talking about here.
1: No, yes. and that's, that's a good one. So, so what we're what we're showing here and, and I should say one of the, the reasons that we look at multitask learning in particular is that this is something that's been shown to improve just the accuracy. So forgetting about fairness and robustness, mm-hmm. just learning an accurate model in federated settings, multitask learning has and, and other forms of personalized right. federated learning have been shown to really improve just the, the raw accuracy. And the reason is exactly kind of this point that we mentioned earlier, which is that the data might differ across the network. And so learning models that are personalized to each of the individual devices can help to improve the overall accuracy. But what we show in this work is that there are also important benefits in terms of fairness and robustness, and especially when you care about both of these things simultaneously. Um, So basically what's going on is that if you're learning models that are personalized to the individual devices, then those models have more capacity to learn to the heterogeneous data, right? So you can learn models that are more fair to data that looks diverse. And you can also separate this kind of tension of having just a single global model that you're learning, which helps to deal with issues like robustness, right? So you can learn a separate model for all of the corrupted data in the network, for example. And then that corrupted model doesn't affect the other parts of the network, you've learned
0: other personalized models. Okay. And is there something as simple as like hyperparameter that you can, uh, a dial that you can tune that weights the locally learned model or the model trained on local data versus the centralized? Yes. Yeah. I'm imagining there's multiple ways to do that. You can kind of tune that model at inference time as well as at training time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we actually, in this work, I think this is a much broader kind of research direction, which is looking at all okay. the multitask task learning for, for federated learning or, or other forms of personalized federated learning. But in this work, we actually look at a very simple objective, which is similar to what you're saying. So basically what the objective does, it's a simple form of multitask learning where there's there's basically two tasks. There's a global model. So there's the model trained across all of the devices. And then mm-hmm. there's a local model. So the model that's personalized to the local data. And there's a simple hyperparameter that you can tune to adjust how much you want to rely on the global model versus just your own local model that's just fitting to local data. And I think the, the tension there is that the whole promise of federated learning, the reason that we, we care about doing this is that ideally we're getting something from sharing all this information across the network. We would hope that the global model is providing some useful information, but we also want to be able to trade off between learning just that one global model and learning more personalized or kind of local behavior on each of these devices. And so this is, this is exactly what you can do with this, with this hyperparameter.
0: Nice when you've got this hyperparameter is the the implications of the local data confined to the local model which is trained on the device and it it stays on the device and that's how you kind of ensure this separation between the local data and the central data or in what ways are you kind of leveraging the 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 local data mm-hmm. in creating the the centralized you still are you still sending the data are you sending weights like how is the centralized model trained?
1: Yeah, so, so there's two parts of training this multitask objective. So there's the, the global component, and then there's the, the local components. So the local component, and actually this hyperparameter that I just mentioned, is trained completely in a distributed fashion on completely local data. So ignoring the information from all of the other devices, and you can tune Lambda just looking at local validation data. So that's all happening locally. What happens across the network where you end up sharing information is when you're training the global component of the multitask objective. And what you can do here is you can apply basically a bunch of work in in federated learning to think about how to train this global component. Mm -hmm. But what you end up sharing is, is kind of exactly what you're, I think you alluded to, you end up sharing model updates that are curated based on the local data. So you're trying to, basically you're trying to find one global model by aggregating a bunch of smaller model updates from each of the devices.
0: Got it, got it, very cool. And what's the, um, you know, what what types of data sets do you evaluate this on? And in fact, what you know, talk a little bit about evaluation of federated learning in general. What are the standard benchmarks and metrics that you're looking at?
1: So this, I think, this is a really important problem. Federated learning is very much an ongoing area of of research. There's a lot of new applications coming out. And I think as such, it's really critical that we have a reasonable set of benchmarks to look at. So this is actually some motivation for me and as well as some collaborators at Carnegie Mellon and at at Google. We came together and we created something called the LEAF benchmark, which can be used for evaluating federated learning on common kind of applications that you would see in practice of federated learning. So it includes a suite of open source data sets that you can use for evaluation, as well as complementary sort of metrics that you would care about. So you could validate things like looking at the average accuracy across devices, or you could look at notions of fairness, for example, as well. So that's kind of part of the benchmark that we developed. In terms of evaluating what performance looks like, or trying to simulate what performance looks like when you're actually running this on say a network of mobile phones, Mm -hmm. There are a couple strategies here. So I think one of the most common ones is to train this in something like a data center setting, but then simulate what the performance might be if you were running it on a device. So you can think about gathering kind of the raw metrics from training this in a data center, and then you can scale those in various ways, depending on what sorts of constraints you want to add to that training process. Another one I, I should mention is that there, there's also some, a few, actually, benchmarks that have come up from from other groups. One from Google is, is TensorFlow federated. And the mm-hmm. goal is to make this, I think, easier for people to actually run on device. So they provide some tools so that you could potentially run, run uh, these techniques on, on device
0: as well. Maybe even more fundamentally, is there kind of a well-accepted metric for fairness in a network or robustness in a network a la blue score for these types of metrics or is that still evolving?
1: Yeah, I think there's still a lot of work to be done to make this more rigorous and and to evaluate a lot of different metrics. For fairness, I think it's there's more of a clear answer here right now and that a lot of the work in fairness has focused on this notion of representation disparity that I mentioned. And so the goal is to try to ensure a more uniform performance across the differing devices. So you could measure this by looking at, say, the variance of the test accuracy distribution, or you could look at the worst performing accuracy. So you could look at, like, the, min, the minimax performance, try to find the worst performing device and make sure that's above some threshold. So those are two common metrics for fairness. Okay. For robustness, there's a lot of different things you could think about. So you could look at robustness to device failures, as I mentioned, so you could see what happens when devices drop out of the network, or you could look at uh, all sorts of different attacks. And I think a lot of the attacks here mirror what you see in centralized settings. So you can look at traditional kind of data or model poisoning attacks, but just as applied in the federated setting.
0: Got it, got it, awesome. Uh, and then separately, you've got another paper at ICML that's focused on unsupervised uh, or federated learning in a more of an unsupervised setting. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that paper?
1: Yeah. So the, the motivation for this paper was actually that I think there were there were two key motivations. One is that In practice, for a lot of these federated learning applications, you don't have labeled data. And I think for that reason, we wanted to spearhead some some work in unsupervised federated learning, specifically looking at this idea of clustering in federated networks. But a second major motivation for the work is that so far, a lot of the problems I've discussed revolve around this issue that data is diverse in federated networks. You have this issue of heterogeneity, that the devices might be generating differing data. And this can result in a lot of problems. It can break the assumptions that we have for traditional distributed optimization methods. It can result in issues of unfairness. It can make it difficult to provide robustness. But what we show in this work is that there, for a certain set of problems, there can actually be benefits of of heterogeneity. And I think intuitively clustering is one where diversity can be beneficial. And what I mean by that is The method that we propose in this work, which looks at federated clustering, is a simple one-shot clustering scheme where basically what you do is you cluster locally on each of the devices, and then you aggregate that clustered information to form one global clustering of the data. And intuitively, if you have data that's diverse across the different devices, this can actually make that method more effective right? So if you have uh, some diversity, if you if you already sort of have natural clusters that form on the devices, it can be easier to do this in a totally distributed fashion. And this is what we are kind of making rigorous in, in this work, is the benefits that might exist of clustering in a, a federated network, specifically when you have heterogeneous data.
0: Uh, and so meaning the paper is not specifically focused on the techniques, but looking at Performance bounds, uh, as a more theoretical paper. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a bit of both. So we do propose this this one-shot communication scheme. It's 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 basically just a distributed version of Lloyd's method, which is a very common method for K-means clustering. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the I, I think the the meat of it is is really analyzing the performance guarantees for that method and showing in particular that this issue of heterogeneity can be beneficial for the analysis.
0: Okay. And can you kind of summarize the intuition around how this method makes heterogeneity beneficial or kind of unlocks the power of the native heterogeneity in the data?
1: Yeah. So I think the, the main idea is basically that if you want to do this kind of simple, very communication-efficient type of clustering, which makes a lot of sense in federated learning, you know if you're training across a million devices, it makes sense to try to reduce the communication as much as possible. Yeah. So this technique that we're looking at is, I think, a really simple heuristic for how you might want to perform clustering in practice. Basically, you can cluster your data locally on each device, send it to some central server, and then you can aggregate those local clusters into to one global clustering. And the reason I'm saying that heterogeneity can be beneficial for this process is that in clustering, the goal is basically right, to split your data into separate sections, right? to split it into these separate clusters. And if your data is heterogeneous, in some way, it's already, it's already been distributed based on these clusters, right? So you would mm-hmm. imagine that some devices might only have data from a small subset of the, the total clusters. And given that, then it, it helps to make this process more decoupled. It makes it easier to distribute the clustering across the devices. And so this is, the, this is the way that heterogeneity can benefit this analysis. Specifically, okay. we look at this idea that um, each of the devices only has data from a small number of clusters, which would, it's, it's an intuitive way to, to think about how the data might be heterogeneous. Um, right? There's a small number of clusters that belong to each one of the devices, basically. And what we show then is just that by performing this one-shot clustering scheme with this heterogeneity assumption, you can show that the results are are basically better than if you were performing it on like totally randomly IID partitioned data.
0: Okay, okay. How do you characterize the heterogeneity of your data in this? Mm -hmm. What's, What's the assumption you're making in the paper?
1: Yeah, so in this paper, we're making, exactly, so we're making this assumption that each device contains data from a small number of the underlying clusters. So say that you know that all of your data is coming from... I don't know, 100 different clusters, mm-hmm. then the assumption could be that every device contains data from only three of those clusters. Mm-hmm. And this is one notion of heterogeneity, but it makes sense in the in the clustering context. If your goal is to perform clustering, it makes sense to think about heterogeneity in terms of the underlying clusters. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, this is the notion that we look at is basically that there's a small number of clusters that generate each of the local data sets at each of the devices.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of prior work that has gone into this idea of thinking like local IAD versus global IAD in federated environments?
1: So I would say that there's a lot of work thinking about this issue of heterogeneity in federated settings. So this is really, I think, a defining characteristic of federated learning compared to something like the data center setting. And and the reason is that in the data center, the idea is that even though you're still solving a distributed learning problem, you own and can access all of that data, and you can repartition it any way you want to. Mm-hmm. Major difference in the federated setting is that each of these devices, say a mobile phone, you're generating data on that phone, and then you're not moving that data or repartitioning it across the network in any way. And what this means is that in the data center, even though you were still distributing your data across different machines, you could partition that data in an IID manner, in an in a independent and identically distributed manner across the machines. In the federated setting, you're getting the data as is. And right. so different devices might be generating different data and that results in this issue of non-IID or heterogeneous data across the network. And I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but there's been work in thinking about how this affects fairness and robustness. But another major issue is that this can affect some of the convergence guarantees that we have for communication efficient optimization methods in federated settings. Mm-hmm. So one of the main assumptions that was typically made when you're performing distributed computing is that the data is, is IID distributed across mm-hmm. nodes. And so this actually breaks kind of a, a fundamental assumption in some of the common methods and analyses that are used for distributed learning.
0: Yeah, and I guess I drew a parallel between one of these devices or a subset of devices with heterogeneous data and what I thought it was like local IID, do you see that within one of these heterogeneous segments, there is an IID property and do you rely on that? Or do you assume that IID is just broken and it's Mm -hmm. replaced with this local notion of heterogeneity?
1: Yeah. So I think a good way to frame it would be that each device is generating data In an IID way, but according to its own separate distribution, and so the distributions can differ across the devices. But each device might be generating data in an IID fashion, just according to its own unique distribution. Mm -hmm. And I think you know one of the motivations for something like multitask learning would be that the distributions between different devices might be similar, so it makes sense to train them simultaneously and to learn about how these different devices might differ from one another. But They differ in a meaningful way. So it's also useful not to just train one model.
0: Yeah. We talked a little bit about kind of applications of this work and federated learning generally. When you're looking at the unsupervised setting, what are some specific applications there? Is it something along the lines of you have an army of mobile devices and you're trying to segment them by type or something like that?
1: Yeah, so actually one this relates to this idea of multitask learning and and personalized learning more generally. A a simple way to perform multitask learning is just to first cluster your devices into clusters, right? So if you knew that there was a natural clustering between the devices, then you could learn models specific to each of those clusters. This would provide you this one-shot clustering scheme that we look at provides you a simple way to do multitask learning. You can just do this, this clustering procedure And then you can learn models that are personalized to the individual clusters in the network. But beyond that, I mean, clustering is also, as you know, so clustering is obviously widely used for a lot of applications and machine learning just as an important kind of pre-processing tool to understand and and analyze the the underlying data distributions that you have. And so this could also just be used as maybe a pre-processing step to get a sense of what the data looks like in the network.
0: Mm -hmm. Does your first point kind of suggest a hierarchical kind of model tiering where you've got this centralized model, then you've got this intermediate type of model that's based on clusters, and then you've got a local device model, a la the first conversation about robustness and fairness. And instead of your one lambda parameter, now you've got kind of two that you're balancing across these different models.
1: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. We we haven't looked at that, but I think that's a very natural way that you could think about applying these things. Yeah, you could have maybe multitask learning happening within each of the clusters as well. And I think, and this is something that we haven't looked at as well, but I think it makes sense. Another benefit of these multitask objectives or things like clustering is that you could also help to reduce communication in a meaningful way. So you could only, in the scenario that you're describing, maybe you could have this nice hierarchical structure where you only actually communicate within a small cluster in the network as opposed to sending everything to, to this one central location.
0: Right, right. Awesome. So what are some of the future research directions that you're looking at and excited about in your work? So
1: one direction that we, I think we started at, and then I just want to circle back to is is the idea of privacy. So this is something that is really important in federated settings. And in particular, you know, the common notion of privacy that's considered is that we want to be able to train models across these devices without necessarily being able to know that any one device participated in the training procedure. So a common tool to address this is through techniques like differential privacy. Some recent work that I've been looking at and I think is is really important is to think about how privacy then connects with issues of fairness and robustness and personalization. So a lot of the other topics that I touched on. And in particular, one area we've been looking at recently is defining notions of privacy for multitask learning. So for these personalized objectives, there's a real lack of work understanding how to make those models differentially private. And so I think that's a really important area of work to ensure that we can simultaneously address all of these constraints, not just fairness and robustness and efficiency and accuracy, but also the constraint of privacy.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Virginia, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. It's been great learning a bit about your research and what you've been up to. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Thanks again for the opportunity.
0: Thank you.